the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest. Good morning and welcome to Next Steps for Seniors. I'm your host, Wendy Jones. And also, as you know, owner and operator of Next Steps for Seniors in Rochester Hills, Michigan. And each and every week, we do something a little different, uh, trying to talk through the stages of life and what we look forward to as we age. This week, we've got a a different topic that I feel is going to be very fascinating and very interesting. And it's about none other than our famous city that we have right in our backyard. So we have the author of Detroit Engine of America with us in-house today. Good morning. How are you today, RJ? Nice to see you, Wendy. It is a pleasure to have you. R.J. King is the author of this book, and fascinating cover, I've got to tell you, listeners, and it's hard because you're all on the radio and not here in person, but he has created um, an amazing design I'm going to have him tell you about in a minute. But tell us a little bit about this book and what led you to write Detroit Engine of America. Well, thank you for having me on the, uh, your show, Wendy, and yeah. uh, it's truly an honor. Uh, Most everybody knows that the auto industry started here, and it was around the year 1900. Uh, Ford Motor Company started in 1903, the the third company. Henry Ford founded. But there was 200 years of history in Detroit uh, that was pretty much untold. Uh, So that's where I concentrated on uh, the book. So the book tells the story of how Detroit went from a French fort on the riverfront in 1701 up to 1900 to become the birthplace of the auto industry. And, um, you know, what led to uh, Detroit being founded so early, uh, it's the oldest city in the Midwest, so it's older than Chicago, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, Pittsburgh. It's even Hmm. older than Buffalo. I did not realize this. And um, what was going on in those days in the 1600s, 
shipbuilding got a lot better. And so the four superpowers of Europe, which would be France, Spain, English, and the Dutch, started coming over to America. The English and the Dutch largely settled the East Coast, New York, Boston, Baltimore. The Spanish went down and got Florida, the West Indies, Cuba. And the French came up the St. Lawrence and founded Quebec and then Montreal. And then uh, they came down to Detroit in 1701, uh, Antoine de la Mouth Cadillac. And then into Ohio and Kentucky, and that was all called New France. And that was uh, a buffer to keep the English and the Dutch from expanding too far westward. So it was a lot of mm-hmm. gamemanship going on back there. So uh, the French settlers arrive in 1701, uh, the, um, July 24th, and immediately start building a fort to get through the winter. Um and um, planted crops, and uh, it was uh, downtown Detroit was an open meadow. Uh, It had about a 25-foot bluff, so very strategic position. Uh, The cannons could get across the river, so Mm. a very good defensive position. So they started building the fort, and um, the, the first three industries that sustained the population were fishing, farming, and hunting. And uh, the hunting uh, went with the beaver pelts, which were sort of their own currency. And so, uh, you know, long story short, they get settled in, uh, start building or start growing crops. Each of the farmers um, got a ribbon farm. So you got about 200, 300 feet of frontage on the Detroit River and then about two to three miles back. Mm. So even today, I mean, your office here is uh, just off Livernoy. Mm-hmm. That was a French farm on the riverfront uh, by the Livernoy family way back when. So wow. that's why all those streets that emanate, you know, Joseph Campo and many of the others are named after uh, French farmers. And so um, things this are is going... fascinating, on. by the yeah. way. Thank you for sharing this yeah, with us. Yeah, so, so things good. are going along pretty well, and um, we're... Uh, Cadillac was a bit of an opportunist, but also an innovator. Uh, the French merchants in Quebec and Montreal would, tra- uh, would trade with the Native American tribes. Um, Cadillac hired them to go out and get these beaver pelts, and then he started flooding the market in Quebec and Montreal. In about 1704, the French merchants uh, started complaining to uh, the finance minister of France, which was Count Pontchartrain, under uh, King Louis the Fourteenth, and um, so uh, the trial a trial was held, and so Cadillac was ordered to go up to Montreal. And uh, as soon as he got there, they threw him in jail, and then they waited for Pontchartrain to come over. So he was in jail for a few months, and then the trial concluded, and uh, Cadillac was allowed to go back to Detroit, but he couldn't go back into the same business that he was in. Mm. Of course, when he got back, he immediately went back into the business he was in. And he lasted till 1710, and then finally, to settle things, um, Cadillac, uh, Pontchartrain thanked him for his service and then made him governor of uh, New Orleans. So the next gentleman, Lieutenant Colonel Tonti, came in, and he was even more ruthless. Um, but still, the population was able to expand, and um, there are no roads, so everybody hugged the river. Um, and then to move um, you know, produce and livestock um, to what would become the port of Detroit, um, you had ships. And so uh, we got very adept at building ships into the 1740s, 1750s. And then um, 
fortunes changed globally, and there was the so-called Seven-Year War, which concluded in 1763, and it was the English and the uh, excuse me, it was yeah, it was the English against the Dutch, the French, and the Spanish. Okay. And the English won. Okay. And so uh, a few years went by, and uh, now Detroit comes under British control. Mm. And they make the French farmers that would not um, uh, have their allegiance to King George III lay down their arms, um, but they were still allowed to keep their land and and Well, and they've been there for so long. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Mm -hmm. And so um, that first fort uh, that started in 1701 lasts until 1778, and the British commander, uh, Lenore, uh, ordered a new fort that was set back um, at, uh, coincidentally, Fort Street, which is still there, and Shelby, and that's uh, basically where the U.S. District Courthouse is, where Mm -hmm. that second fort was. And um, So interesting. So then, um, you know, the Revolutionary War comes, and, um, of course, we're up against the English, and who comes to our aid? The French, Mm -hmm. the Spanish, and the Dutch. We would never have won without them. Right. Uh, So we get through the war, and then um, finally uh, Detroit comes under American control in 1796 uh, with the arrival of Major General um, Anthony Wayne, hence Wayne County, and uh, Lieutenant... this is so fascinating. And Lieutenant Colonel Hamtramck. You say that like we're all supposed to know that, but this is so fascinating to me. I grew up in Wayne, yes. And and so uh, President Adams in 1800 uh, established uh, Detroit officially as a a port, Mm -hmm. which brought uh, additional revenue to the city. And then slowly but surely, um, a city council is formed, a mayor is formed. They start debating uh, buying and uh, developing fire firefighting equipment and um it wasn't in time though because um there was the great fire of 1805 in right. early june um probably 99 percent positive it was deliberately set hmm. because uh, everybody was still there's packed into that old fort so those roads were only about 12 feet wide and um you just couldn't get people out of there so this fire came um Wiped out everything, but the second fort, everybody huddled in there for the winter. And now they start to lay the streets that we know of today as, you know, Woodward, Michigan Avenue, mm-hmm. Grand River, all designed by uh, Augustus Woodward, who was one of the three territorial judges appointed by President um, Thomas Jefferson. And um, by 1807, there's 300 structures. Most of them are very, very close to the river, again, because there are very few roads. Uh, the closest road to the river is called At Water. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have Woodbridge, who was a general. and said that. Franklin, of course. And then there's five streets downtown that are named after the first five presidents. Um, and so now the town is starting to, to build quite rapidly. And, now, what uh, year are we in now? 18... Uh, 1807, 1808. Okay. And um, you start to see the first wave of um, immigrants come here from okay. uh, from the East Coast, largely the Irish. Um, if you came from Europe 
and got to New York or Boston or Baltimore, you were segmented by your culture and um, your country. Hmm. Um, but if you came to Detroit, the French were the really nice French. So they welcomed mm -hmm. you with open arms. And so Detroit became this celebrated frontier town that to make it to Detroit would it would be the ultimate. And you could either come here, get supplies and keep going or stay here. And many mm -hmm. people decided to stay here. Wow. That was remarkable. Listeners, you need to know this was all just in his head. He was just literally talking through this like it was yesterday. And he's not that old, I'm just going to say. So thank you for sharing that. That is, you captured so much information in that first segment. We've got a few minutes left. We're going to go into our next segment here in just a moment to learn more detail about our great city. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back. Our program topic today is all about Detroit, Engine of America. And we are blessed to have the author of this amazing book. And listeners, if you've tuned into the first segment, you can hear the knowledge that RJ has of our great city. And I am learning so incredibly much, as I'm sure you are too. And this is information that not only we all should know, but let's teach our kids this stuff, right? Like, let's really give them some detail about the beginning, because we've come a long way. Our city is dynamic. It's amazing. And our history is phenomenal, mm -hmm. just from what I've learned in the last 11 minutes. <laughs> so continue on from, from where you were with, with, with the, I think it was 1808 we ended at, probably. Yeah, so the 1808... The city starts to rebuild after the Great Fire of 1805, yeah. and um, you're starting to see the first wave of uh, immigrants come over, um, welcomed uh, openly by the French, and then... Um, the friendly French. The friendly French. <laughs> and, um, and the Americans, of course, too. Of course. And now the War of 1812 begins, and um, this was a war that started between France and uh, England, and, of course, who are we going to come aid? We're going to go help the French. Of course. And so the English um, were quite upset. They started confiscating our ships and our men, and so we declared war against England. And um, no shots were fired against the city of Detroit, but it was captured uh, by the British. So we go back under British control for about two years. Uh, a lot of famous battles here uh, and on Lake Erie, and uh, we won thank God. Mm -hmm. And toward the end there, um, on the uh, Canadian side, up the uh, River Thames, um, the English um, and the uh, Native Americans were re retreating, and uh, we called up men to go after them to end this once and for all, uh, specifically against uh, Chief Tecumseh. And um, the call went out, and uh, the governor of Kentucky brought twice the men that we needed and to uh, thank him, his name was Governor Shelby. So hence Shelby Street in downtown Detroit. And the mm -hmm. fort uh, that I spoke of, the second fort, uh, became known as Fort Shelby. And if you stand at Fort and Shelby, you'll see it. There, you know, there's a nice uh, historic marker there on the U.S. District Courthouse wall. And now the city starts to grow. Uh, it's American again. Um, Things like the University of Michigan was founded in Detroit in uh, 1817. Uh, the first uh, sitting president visits Detroit, uh, James Monroe. Huge celebration. I bet. 
Um, and you got to remember, there's not a lot of things going on. I mean, there's no TV, radio, well, or anything. Yeah, I, we're 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 back in the trains and the shipping is kind of where we were at that point. Yeah, we were very uh, skilled at ships, and we started to get into steamships, and uh, and then in um, a couple of things, uh, the. Mayor, uh, the territorial judges, one of which was Woodward, pretty much ran the city um, mm -hmm. with uh, not a lot of pushback. Finally, they got over that hump. Uh, the first mayor was uh, John R. Williams, hence John R. Road. Oh, John, good old John R. Okay, and what uh, year was the first mayor? Do you remember? Uh, 1824. Of course you do. Okay. And then the next big moment was the opening of the Erie Canal in 1815. Oh, for sure. So that brought you from New York uh, through the canal uh, to the western edge of Lake Ontario. Mm. And then you caught a ship. And the only place really to come in those days was Detroit. So everybody, everybody came Everybody came here. to Detroit. Oh, absolutely. And in those days... They get out of their little area and they get to actually transport somewhere. <laughs> in those days, upstate New York was the stove capital of the world, but the... Travelers figured out pretty quickly, why would I bring buy a stove, put it on a barge, put it on a ship, and get it to Detroit when I can get a stove in Detroit? Mm -hmm. So over time, we became the stove capital of the world. We're building our agricultural equipment. Um, iron ore is discovered in copper and silver, a peninsula. Again, the waterways are still the major traffic. Right. Uh, and now we're starting to uh, get into 1840s, 1850s, start to develop. Uh, locomotives and rail cars, um, all kinds of uh, smelting operations, brasseries, all hugging the river. The river was very, very industrialized. Uh, the roads start to come into play more and more, and um, and we were, you know, became the world's largest manufacturing economy. Uh, and that was a good and bad thing. Um, the good thing was it provided jobs and brought more people. Many here. jobs, oh, for sure. But the factories, especially if you see on the cover of the book, had to be built way out in the hinterlands. Um, and then they would quickly be surrounded by neighborhoods because the people didn't have cars. They had so to walk to work. to be close, yes. And so that's why Detroit grew so rapidly because these manufacturing operations were primarily single story, taking up lots and lots of room. Uh, and then just to fast forward it to... Um, World War II, the reason the tank plant uh, that Chrysler built in 1941 is at 12 Mile in Van Dyke because that was the nearest or that was the best, uh, most open land that was at that time, at that time oh, sure. uh, available. Uh, so now you can just see why we grew so fast. It makes it, yeah, it does make sense in my head now as you're talking through this because we can see, we can almost see it happening, right? Right. <laughs> Even though it was so many hundreds of years ago. And then um, Michigan becomes a state in 1837. And to put that in perspective, Chicago becomes a city in 1837. So wow, that does that's put how it in much, how far ahead we were. So tell me, how did um, Ulysses Grant come to live in Detroit with his wife and their baby girl? Did that happen right? Yeah, that happened. Um, so a third fort was built, which is still here with us today, Fort Wayne. Um, down uh, just southwest of uh, the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And um, 1849 to 1851, Ulysses S. Grant uh, is in the Army, and he gets stationed here. Uh, his house, um, they had a house for him on just the outskirts at Fort in Livernois uh, because the officers' quarters weren't ready yet. And so he and his wife, uh, Julie, 
Julia, uh, and their little girl uh, shared that house. Quick story about the house. It eventually went to the Michigan State Fairgrounds and most recently uh, was just put on a new foundation at Eastern Market. And that will open up in the next couple of years. They're oh. fundraising for it. And it'll be for school groups and seniors and a nice educational. It'll be, if you know where Roma Cafe is, if, yes, you're, walking, if you're walking out the front door, mm-hmm. if you look to your left, the next block over, you'll see a white building and, and um, I can't plastic even wrap. wait to go back down there to look at all this now. And you'll see it. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so Ulysses S. Grant was stationed here from 1849 to 1851. Uh, he was probably the most... Uh, one of the most important uh, people in town. He and his wife were invited to all the balls. Uh, he was pulled aside early on and asked not to drink while he was here, and he honored that. And then in uh, 1851, he got stationed in uh, in Maine. So he left for Maine, and I think he probably had some problems there. And then they, they uh, recommissioned him to Portland, Oregon, and I can only imagine that 3,000-mile trip in those days oh, just must have been brutal. I don't even want to think about that. So he got caught basically drinking on the job, and uh, he was told either to uh, resign his commission or be court-martialed. He resigned, and then um, the Civil War breaks out, and he convinced the governor of Illinois to give him uh, leadership of a regiment of men. And uh, Grant did not care about politics and quickly you know, as we know, he became, you know, a uh, general of the U.S. Army. And uh, a few of the other generals were biding their time because they thought Lincoln was weak and they were going to run against him in 1864. And um, hmm. Grant had none of that. So in 1856, uh, the war is now over. And uh, he returned, Grant did, to Detroit for five days. Um, I guess it was just a huge party scene. And Detroit is a very celebratory town, even to this day. It is. Um, and um, and so now after a war, usually your economy starts to slow because you don't have the demand and you've got to switch over, back over to consumer products. That didn't happen. Uh, Detroit, Detroit just kept <laughs> no growing, sorry. growing, and growing. And now you get into some of the colorful people like R.L. Polk and um, Emily Scripps and... Um, Henry Ford and um, the mayor, Hazen Pingree, who was a, a famous uh, shoemaker. And uh, the economy now is uh, still shipping railroads, agricultural equipment. And um, you're starting to see uh, now a skilled workforce develop. Mm-hmm. And as you get to 1890s, uh, when the first motorized car was uh, on the streets of Detroit uh, around this time in 1896, early March, uh, by Charles Brady King, uh, trailing him on a bicycle was a young engineer by the name of Henry Ford. And uh, because you had a manufacturing economy and a skilled workforce and these inventors, that's why Detroit became the automotive capital of the world. Man. It, it, that it, It's seriously fascinating to me so henry ford so let's move into to that part in our next segment because we're almost out of time (laughs) listeners i'm sure that you are just as fascinated as i am by what rj king is sharing you're listening to the patriot fm 101.5 am 1400 and we'll be back in just a moment this is wendy jones and you're listening to the patriot fm 101.5 am 1400 welcome back to next steps for seniors our topic today 
is a book called Detroit Engine of America. And we have the author with us here today. And it's a, it's really a special edition. I'm just calling it today's episode because very rarely do you get someone like this who's as knowledgeable as he is on our hometown right here in our backyard. And there's so much history and so much revel, rele, relevance and to what's even happening today. I mean, this is fascinating to me. So I'm so appreciative that you're here. And I'm sure listeners, you're thinking what I am. What triggered all this history and research and you diving so deep into learning all this? Just tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing now that kind of triggered this to to where you are today. Sure. Well, we um, have a, a bunch of magazines, both locally and nationally. Uh, here we have uh, D-Business, uh, Our Detroit, Detroit Design, and, and so forth. And each, uh, both... D business and our Detroit on their last pages of uh, each issue looks back at a history or a person that once was. And as uh, we started doing the research, uh, anything that was pre 1900 required special effort because there was no book out there that really explained chronologically how this city was built from scratch and how it became the oldest city in the Midwest. And, um, so I came across two thick volumes of Detroit's history, one written um, by uh, Silas Farmer and um, Farmer Street in downtown Detroit, if uh, you know where the old Hudson's store was, uh, that was on the east side. And um, the other book, um, the author escapes me right now, but in any event, each of those gentlemen, thick volumes of the history of Detroit, but each of them treated their chapters as a topic. So there was a topic on agricultural equipment, and it would bring you from start to finish, usually around about uh, 1900, they would end, uh, the other book went to 1925. And then there would be one on police and fire, there would be one on um, shipbuilding. And so what I did was I set up my chapters um, chronologically. So the first chapter covers 1600 to 1800. And I talked about those four superpowers and how that all came to be and how Detroit was founded in 1701. And then each of the next 10 chapters are by decade. So 1800 to 1810 and hmm. so forth. And so uh, it literally, as you read the book, it teaches you how the city was built and all the interesting people that came into play all the different activities that occurred here. And you just had a wonderful uh, inventive streak here, um, which eventually led to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the establishment of the the first car in Detroit built by Charles Brady King in uh, March of um, 1896. And uh, as I mentioned, Henry Ford was trailing him on a bicycle. He was a, you know, a protege. And uh, so Henry started building his house quadricycle uh, and he and Clara and their young son Edsel lived on Bagley Street in downtown Detroit if you know where the Michigan Theater is mm -hmm. and they um, he built uh, they lived uh, in a two floor flat the first floor in the front was uh, sort of a merchant store in the back was Henry's workshop and then they lived above mm -hmm. and so Henry uh, developed his quadricycle using some of the parts borrowed from Charles Brady King's car. And uh, so he rolled it out, and um, you had to drive these cars at night, uh, late at night, so they would scare the horses. And um, 
There was some adamant uh, resistance to it. Oh, I can only imagine. And they had uh, they tried to limit the vehicles to five miles an hour to keep people from using them, and that got overturned. Um, luckily, we had some mayors that were more kind to business than being about politics. But you had, um, you know, the political situation, um, probably the most famous person in the second half of the 1800s was uh, Mayor Hazen Pingree. Mm -hmm. And he had a uh, shoe company that was quite large. And even when um, one of the uh, presidents uh, visited, I think it was, uh, uh, it'll come to me, but uh, the first lady, uh, when they arrived, they um, went straight measured to the her, shoe store. <laughs> they measured her feet. That's what I would do. <laughs> they measured her feet, and by the evening, she had a pair of bejeweled, you know, shoes that oh. uh, she was really quite fond of. Uh, so that's what you could do in Detroit so quickly. Wow! But Mayor Hazen Pingree, um, in 1885 or so, a huge strike against his shoe company, and it was then that he. Uh, admittedly said that I learned what it was uh, to be the common man and understanding their plight. And so he ran for mayor in 1889 and won. And um, they brought the f uh, what would be equivalent to the Chicago's World Fair was developed in uh, Detroit at the convergence, convergence of the Rouge and Detroit Rivers. Mm. And it went every summer up until 1893 when the Chicago World's Fair took over. Um, and that was uh, a huge boost to Detroit. Uh, Vanity Fair at the time did a huge expose on uh, this exposition. And it was where, um, when we went to the Chicago's World Fair, we were, you know, Detroit was one of the huge stars of that because we were very used to running this thing. Right. And um, a lot of that, uh, or at that era, was the great uh, financial panic of 1893. And as I mentioned, uh, Mayor Pingree here, uh, his nickname became Potato Patch Pingree because he allowed people to farm on city-owned lots, which was huge. And, um, and then he went on to run for governor, and, uh, the guy he, who wasn't a politician. Right. The businessman <laughs> okay. who became a mayor, and then he became governor, and then he tried to be the mayor of Detroit at the same time. Oh, and that didn't work, I'm but assuming. That didn't work. And so um, a new mayor, a Mayor Mayberry, who was very business-friendly, uh, came in, and he squashed all of those ter uh, speed limits and things like that and mm. really opened it up for the auto industry. Um, but you know, Pingree was a, a very, very good mayor and a very well, good and influential. It sounds like in in the city for sure. And then he started taking control of um, what were private enterprises for sewer and water and uh, the telegraph companies and um, you know electricity, mm -hmm. lighting. I mean, some of these sewers were so poorly uh, installed that they wouldn't uh, run downhill properly and it was just a huge mess you had different street lights when one contractor came in and then they lost the business then they wouldn't take down the old street lights so you had double street lights up half of the poles weren't working oh can so, you imagine <laughs> so he cleaned up and they're a just lot. learning how to drive these cars yeah. <laughs> so they cleaned all that up waterworks park as uh, most everybody knows was started in that era and uh you know the, the first vestiges of uh 
Consumers Energy and Detroit Edison started around that time too, uh, taken away from the private sector, going to the public sector, now back to the private sector, but now regulated as we know. Um, so all of those things came into play. And um, Pingree uh, arrived here. He was from the East Coast, but uh, like a lot of men, um, the story of Detroit just circulated through the troops. And a lot of those folks came here because they knew they could get a job. And that's what drew Pingree here. And people like J.L. Hudson, who came from Europe, and uh, and on and on it goes. J.L. Hudson. Haven't heard that name in a while. So the Hudson Building downtown Detroit. When when was that built? Do you? I'm really picking your brain, but you seem to know everything. So I'm uh, well, you know. J.L. Hudson's father uh, had a clothier out in uh, Pontiac, and I think he had something on the west side of the state. And the son came up through the business, and uh, he established his own store in what was the original Detroit Opera House, which is where the CompuWare Building is, or now mm-hmm. the headquarters of Rocket Companies. Um. And then eventually he went to the um, west side of Woodward, and then he got bigger and bigger, and he came over to the east side of Woodward and then built up the huge Hudson's Department Store, which is now being um, now the site of a major uh, yeah, they're rebuilding. Building. I heard. Yeah, I just saw that the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a nice mid-rise, and then a huge residential hotel tower that'll be ready probably twenty twenty-five. They're going great guns on it. So a lot of history here and uh, a lot of gamemanship. And um, the newspaper industry uh, started to come into play in the 1830s. The Free Press, I believe, is from 1832. One of the first owners of that was John R. Williams. Mm. Um, And the Free Press has um, sort of a dark history, though, because they they would take out ads and their editorial slant was... uh, they were pro-slavery, mm. uh, where the Detroit News, they didn't come until 1873, so that was all gone. But the Free Press has a really dark history. Wow. Uh, of, yeah. Uh, who I, who would know that? I, yeah. I mean, I never knew that. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Fascinating information, not just about that, but just all of it. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on where we are today in Detroit, but we're going to do that in our last segment. Again, you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. And each and every week, you can tune in to our Facebook page, Next Steps Number 4 Seniors, to see all of the previous radio programs that are on the show. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to our program today. And what a fascinating topic. I mean, there's so much information and so much rich history right here in our backyard. And I feel like RJ King is just a wealth of knowledge just sitting here in front of me sharing all this information with us, much of which I did not know. I don't know about you listeners, but here we are in Michigan. And this book, I highly recommend. In fact, if you can share with our listeners, how do they go about ordering this? Detroit Engine of America. So uh, thank you, Wendy. Uh, The exact title of the book is um, a web address. So if you go to Detroit engineofamerica.com it takes you right to the book buying page and you can get it right on wherever you want and you can amazon. get it on you can get it on amazon as well mm-hmm. um or in bookstores and or just uh, go to that website and order uh, it right there and yeah. they have it shipped right to you correct 
I think it's phenomenal. Do you, is it available on audio or no, not yet? Uh, yes, it is. Because what would be cool is if your voice was on the audio. It actually is. Okay, well, yeah, there we go. Yeah, See? Yeah, 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 <laughs> Great yeah. minds think alike, So right? that's on Audible. <laughs> so tell us, tell us what your current thought process is. I mean, we talked a little bit about, mm. obviously, the Hudson Building is down and now coming back up. We're doing something new in that spot. But mm. how, how do you think Detroit is doing? Well, I think they're doing uh, much better than they have in recent decades. Um, Detroit is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, unlike any city in the world because we were the world's first manufacturing economy. And every time you built a new factory, you had to go out into the open space and then quickly surrounded by residences because there weren't cars um, in those 1700s and 1800s and, you know, into the early 1900s. And um, so... As you get to World War II, um, now the call goes out for arms and jeeps and tanks and planes. And uh, where are you going to go to get those built? The only place in the world that was doing uh, manufacturing at scale was Detroit. Um, planes on the built in California, they would just build them by hand, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so we were able to, you know, share that expertise with the rest of the country and our allied nations. Um, if you look at the end of World War II, um, roughly 60% of our manufacturing output was used to win that war, and we outproduced everybody else, including Germany, Japan, and Italy combined, with only 60%. So you can wow. see how efficient our economy is even today compared to other economies around the world. But... In building up all of those armaments, a few things happened. The first freeways started to develop here to move the um, parts back and forth more quickly. So the first freeway in the world was the Davison Freeway that runs through Highland Park, uh, the first paved roads on Woodward uh, at Seven Mile. And um, again, you've got to build more factories, and we've got to keep building out into the green spaces. So basically, you have to double your manufacturing output to win the war. And then after the war, thank God we won, half your demand goes away. And now we're left with all these empty factories. And so mom and dad are looking at the kids, and they're like, we do not want the kids playing in an empty factory. We're going to move to the suburbs where there's these brand new homes. And So that Grass really and, started mm -hmm. it. So in 1951 the uh, population in Detroit peaked at a little over 1.8 million. And then slowly but surely it declined as more people moved to the suburbs. And then the, um, the riots in uh, 1967 just precipitated even more uh, with the banks and the redlining that was going on with the mortgages. And um, everybody that comes here and they look around not knowing the history and they're like, these people what are they thinking? They've got all these empty factories. What are they going to do with them? You know, it's just a mess. And so now uh, Mayor Duggan um, finally figured out, why don't we bring industrial back to the city? And he was um, perfectly uh, complimented by a surge in uh, demand for warehouse space as we buy more and more things from Amazon. Uh, as well as the auto industry and just-in-time delivery. So all of these older manufacturing sites have been cleaned up, leveled, and now new facilities are going in, and it's going so well 
uh, that now the city of Detroit is starting to run out of industrial land. But what does that do? It allows people that live nearby to either walk or take a car to work. Uh, You don't have a highly educated workforce that, uh, you know, 27, 28% of people um, have a college degree, probably lower than that in the city of Detroit. But there's really good paying jobs now. And so that's really going to start humming and making this economy grow. And I I think that bodes well for, for our future. And again, we are blessed with natural resources. So, um, you know, the whole buy local campaign with the restaurants and the grocery stores and the gourmet markets, we can grow pretty much everything here. We're very blessed with, uh, rich soil and, uh, fresh water. Uh, so when you look at the decades to come, we're in a great position. Absolutely. Live, work, and play. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to live, work, and play and support our mm-hmm. small businesses, our independence. You know, a lot of these big block houses, like you mentioned, like we, I love that we're starting to go back to that, right? And Michigan made things. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big proponent when I'm giving gifts of Michigan made. So I think it's really important that we do support our own and our city. So that is. That is fascinating too, and and kudos to what the mayor is doing down there. What a what a brilliant idea! Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we need to bring the city back. Yeah, and they're starting to really focus on the neighborhoods. Um, the city had an at-large city council. They've divided uh, the city now into seven districts. Uh, so seven council members each have their own district, and then there's two at-large city council members. That's brought more focus. Um, to the neighborhoods, and then um, from uh, the ground up, you're seeing um, block clubs form. And so now this is a great back and forth between the city and the residences. And, hey, you know, we need these lampposts fixed, or we'd like to get our sewers fixed, um, alleys cleaned, all of those types of things. So now you've got a great communication going on in the city. And, it, you know, slowly but surely, it's getting better. Uh, if you look nationally at what's happening in some of these cities that uh, have defunded their police, like Portland and Chicago and Minneapolis, but that's not happening here in Detroit. Mm-mm. We are very blessed to not be caught up in uh, some of the crime waves and other things that are going on in uh, some of these Throughout other the cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, y- you don't hear a lot of that in the press anymore about Detroit in. It's very, I I think people now recognize around the world what a special place this is, what it continues to be. Uh, A lot of innovations, inventions, new products, uh, unbelievable amount of talent here. Uh, And we can pretty much build anything in the world still to this day. So uh, I think it bodes well for our future. And, um, you know, we just got to keep our nose to the grindstone and uh, keep working hard and uh, good things will result. Absolutely. Listeners, I would love you to order this book, DetroitEngineOfAmerica.com. You can order it right online. I was blessed to be given a copy signed by my friend here. And I can't wait because I feel like we need to give this to the next generation. And it's going to be a mandatory read this summer for my kids because they're going away to college. And this is the kind of stuff that they need to know. Sure, We need to teach the next generation. Don't you feel that? Yeah, we're starting to... um get this uh, into the schools now and uh, so then there'll be some um, scholastic studies that go with it but uh, yeah I 
you know, I had no idea when I was growing up what was going on. I'm sure. I I mean, I didn't know half of what you just said today. Mm -hmm. So he has this amazing cover. Share with our listeners. I know it's hard for them to see, but when they see it online, they're going to get it. Uh, Well, you'll see sort of a parchment effect of uh, the city skyline from 1889. It shows a lot of ships on the river. It shows mostly um, four or five-story buildings. Uh, Of course, there's no Renaissance Center. You'll see Woodward Avenue. You'll see Grand Circus Parks. You'll see the streets laid out. Uh, And then there's a medallion uh, design uh, circle on the cover over that map, um, which goes from... Uh, 1700 to 1900, and it has uh, the figures of a horse and carriage signaling the the French's building of carriages and then log homes and steamships and then the locomotives I referenced and then the horseless carriage and uh, each of the quadrants below the vehicle uh, are represented by that spoke. And then when I do signings, we had uh, an ink stamp uh, made, and so we'll stamp the book for you on the front page and sign it uh, any way you'd like. Do you have any signings coming up that are, we want to share with our listeners? And uh, if not, I no, will keep them not, posted. Not the just let me head. know. Okay. No, <laughs> just we'll let go. me know, and I'll continue, listeners, to keep you posted. This, I want to thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, because today I, number one, learned an amazing amount of information, but it really makes you proud to be part of this, right? Sure. To know that, that this is kind of what we stand for in Detroit, and mm-hmm. this is where we were, and this is where we are. Sure. Phenomenal. And let's support our city. Let's support our mayor. I love the new innovative things that we have going on. I mean, this is a time like none other. And like you said, we were the first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. let's go. Yep. Let's keep it going. You're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. Go visit Detroit. You've been listening to this week's edition of Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. You can reach Wendy with any questions you have at area 248-651-5010. That's 248-651-5010. Join us again next week as Wendy provides more information and resources for those important next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.